Man, it is good to be back. I've, I've been gone for about a week. I haven't preached in, uh, in about two weeks. So, man, I, I'm pumped. I'm excited. Can you hold that for me? Because I don't need that while I preach. Thank you. Um, but, man, I, I am pumped. Before we get started, a couple things I want to talk about. Uh, first off, I believe in giving honor. So could we honor Pastor Kevin, Miss Kelly, and the rest of the SEU Carolina team? So they're here from SEU Carolina for, for those of you who aren't sure what that is. So Southeastern University, it's where I graduated from, did my undergrad and graduate work there uh, down in Lakeland, Florida. And now we have extension sites all across the nation, and, and we're one of the leading extension sites for um, Southeastern University. So thank you guys so much for being here today. And the reason that I wasn't here last week is because I was in Nicaragua. And so our team went down, Riley and Brandy and, and Ashley and Luke and myself, and we had another individual uh, from out of state with us. But, but man, we had an absolute blast. We poured into the CrossFit community that's there. We, we poured into the CrossFit members. And, and one thing that we helped do uh, is, is we helped kind of establish or, or start to build a chicken coop. Now, it wasn't one of these fancy chicken coops like we see in North Carolina sometimes that you get your husbands to make sometimes. You, like, paint them red and make them look all pretty. Like, it, it wasn't that. This was, like, supposed to be for growing a lot of chickens so that the family could support themselves. And, and when we got there, we realized that it was going to be a lot of hard work. And, and Luke, you'll, you'll remember this, but it wasn't necessarily just getting up. or It wasn't just uh, the work that we did on top. It was getting up the mountain. So, so getting up there, we had to climb these stairs. I wish we had a picture of that, but we had to climb these stairs. And, and I kid you not, as we're walking up this mountain, you could literally touch the step that was in front of you. And by step, I mean they either dug it out or they placed tires down and filled them with sand and concrete just to get up to establish this chicken coop. And, and when we got up there, we had to kind of grade this land. And, and Luke put it perfectly. We didn't hire a grader. We couldn't hire a, a mason. What we had to do is we had to take shovels and pickaxes and have strong backs, and we, we were the graders. I'm not sure how flat it really is since we did the work, but, but we got after it, and, and we moved these things called adobe bricks, and these adobe bricks were about 40 pounds a piece. You can take a look at that picture and see all of them that were laid uh, out on the ground. Uh, don't look at me looking like I'm like laying an egg, evidently. Like, I don't know. <laughs> what am I doing? Oh, I'm rolling the... I'm, we had to move these boulders. That's the smaller one. Luke got the bigger one because he's stronger than me. But, but I asked, I asked um, the, the family when they were going to start putting chickens up there, when they were going to start kind of building the chicken coop. They had, I think it was roughly like 900 adobe, 1,000 adobe bricks made. They had to make six to 800 more of, of these bricks. And by make them, they made them with, with sand and dirt and water, and, and they made them by hand. It wasn't like, hey, let's run down to Lowe's and grab some, grab some bricks. It wasn't, let's go down to Home Depot and just load the back of the truck up. They were making these things by hand, and I asked them when they were going to start building, and they let me know that they had a few more bricks to make, but, but, but this was the wife's response, that they were trusting God's timing and trusting his process, that they were going to continue to do the work, but they were just trusting God's timing. While we were there, we were able to go to an alcohol rehab center and we saw three individuals rededicate their life to Jesus. That's something you can get excited about. We, uh, we launched a small group of, of five local business leaders in the area, and the guys kind of got to hang out with them. The ladies had a girls' night, and uh, they had over 20 individuals show up. Here's the deal. Ashley Coey loved it so much when she was there. While we were there, she decided to stay an extra week, so she's not even back yet. 
So, so this place absolutely impacted our life and, and multiplied Lake Norman. We are another step closer to planting a church in Nicaragua. Because this is, I mean, that's something to celebrate. This, this is what we know. This is what we know, that regardless of the language barriers, regardless of the socioeconomic status, regardless of, of someone's upbringing, everyone needs Jesus and everyone needs community. So we're called to plant the gospel all across the world. Listen, we've been in this crossover series for a few weeks now, and I'll remind us of our theme verse, Joshua chapter 1, verse 2, crossover into the land that I am giving you. And for us, that's planting churches and, and reaching people. And I'm a firm believer that we do this through helping people find life, freedom, family, and purpose. If you've been here for any length of time, you've heard that language. What does it mean? Finding life. That means stepping into a relationship with Jesus. Finding freedom. We believe as a church that you have to take care of yesterday before you can move towards tomorrow. So what are the things in your past that you need to reconcile, that you need freedom from? And then finding family. We believe that we're better in community. We believe that we're better when we're inside a church family and ultimately finding purpose. That every single person in this room has a divine design. You have a unique call on your life and God's trying to pull that out of you. So through life, freedom, family, and purpose, we plant churches. Why? Because it's the gospel message. But there's one resounding question that we always have to ask ourselves. Each individual, you have to ask yourself, and here's the question, do you trust Jesus? Like, if you think about it, do you truly trust Jesus? Think, think back to the chicken coop. Think back to the individual that I was talking about. They were doing the work every single day, busting their backs. We went up for two days. I was amazed by how much work they did without us even there. But they were busting their back day in and day out, knowing that they played a part in the process, but, but they trusted that God would continue to provide. You, you can't have one without the other. They didn't just trust God with their words, but they trusted God with their actions. So I'll ask you again, do you truly trust Jesus? So I, I, think, I think this is a question that we always want to answer yes to. Because it's, it's the churchy answer to say. I want to truly think that I trust Jesus, but our actions have to match our faith. I can talk about planting a church in Nicaragua. I can talk about planting a church in Hickory. I can talk about planting churches across the Lake Norman area, but do our actions truly match our words? See, if I talked about planting a church to, in Nicaragua but never went to Nicaragua, am I truly wanting to plant a church in Nicaragua? Probably not. I'm just going to talk about it. So do our actions truly match our faith? Brittany, you mentioned this. This has kind of been our theme this year. Don't talk about it. Be about it. Don't just, don't just pay lip service to what you want to see happen. Actually put in the work to get there. Again, our theme scripture, Joshua chapter 1. Cross over into the land that I am giving you. Tied up in this one verse is two unique things that I think we need to write down. The first one is this. Do you trust God? Do you trust God? And the second one is this. Do your actions match your words? Again, we can say that we trust God, but do your actions truly match up? Riley, I'm going to ask you to... Come up on stage with me. Could you, could you make your way up here? Are you tired this morning? You got a little jet lag. You good? You're good. All right, so I can trust you? All right, he's fired up. He's ready to go. All right, so, so here's the thing. You can, just, you can just stand right there. I'm going to ask you a couple questions. You were reading my, my notes on the plane yesterday, so you kind of know, know what's coming a, a little bit. But I have a question for you. Riley, do you trust me? More than anything. More than anything. 
That's what I'm talking about. It would, listen, it would have been very awkward if I would have pulled somebody up here and publicly in front of the entire church, no, pastor, I don't trust you. Like that would, that would have been a fail. But, but Riley, Riley, you trust me. So, so let, me, let me kind of ask you this. It's, it's kind of awkward, again, if you say you don't trust me publicly, but, but that's not the real question. It's too ambiguous. It's too ambiguous to say, do you trust me? But then I could dive a little deeper, and I could say things like, do you trust me to lead the church? Do, do you trust me to seek God? Do you trust me to teach and preach his word? Okay, here, let me, let, let's, get, let's get down to some more questions. Do you trust me to judge your CrossFit workouts? Yes, okay, okay, okay. We're getting there. We have a plan, Riley, like as long as we stick to the plan. All right, what, 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 about, what about this one? Do you trust me to go to Nicaragua and plant churches? All right, I'm going to give you an easy one. If you had a heart problem, do you trust me to perform open heart surgery on you? No. <laughs> Negative. Do you trust me to teach you how to fly? No, you don't, you don't trust me. Because here, here's the thing. I, I, I want to suggest that trust is, a, is complex and it's layered. Regardless of who you're dealing with, trust is always complex and layered. Psychologists and neuroscientists say this. They say that there's four key, point, or key components to, of trust. The first one is benevolence, and then integrity, competency, and predictability. So benevolence, where are they giving of their resources and their time? I can trust someone if I know where their resources and time are going. I, I can trust someone if they have integrity, if they do what they say they're going to do. I can trust someone if they have competency. If, if they can kind of say something and know how to get there, if they're competent about the situation, I can trust them. And I can also trust someone that's predictable. For example, Riley, if I told you, hey, last week we're going to go to Nicaragua and we ended up in South Africa, you probably wouldn't trust me to take you to Nicaragua ever again. There was some predictability to it. See, trust is based both on character of the person and the competency to perform the act that is calling for your trust. It's on the screens. Read it again. Trust is based on both the character of the person. So, so do I trust the person? Do I trust their character and the competency? Do they know how to get me from point A to point B? So I'll ask you again. Do you trust Jesus? Do, do you trust that Jesus' character is what Scripture says it is? Do you trust that Jesus is competent enough to get you from A to B? Riley's awkwardly standing up here. I'm going to get back to Riley in, in just a second. <laughs> but on the surface, the answer is, yeah, yeah, sure, I trust Jesus. Why? Because it, it has to be the right answer. It's got to be the churchy answer, right? We're here on Sunday morning. i got to say, yes, I trust Jesus. But I want to ask you more specifically. See, what Jesus is asking us is, do you really trust me? I would suggest that trust is tangible. I would suggest that I can say I trust someone, but you don't really know you trust someone until it's put to the test. You ready to test it out? All right, I'm going to have you stand right here, Riley. I'm going to slide this over a little bit. Am I going to trust you or are you going to trust me? Both. both. Uh, it's got to be both, right? All right, so y'all seen trust falls before, right? See, he, you knew what I was doing. You knew what I was setting up. So here's the deal. I can turn around, and I can, this was a really good idea until in this moment. <laughs> How sore are you from all the workouts? Not at all. Okay, are your legs good? They're good. Because you've been calling me fat all week. So, I'm Gordo. <laughs> Muy Gordo. I was the fat guy on the trip, I guess. So you can, you can say you trust somebody, right? 
I can say, I trust Riley. But until I literally just fall and hope that he catches me, I'm really glad. Thank you, Jesus, for Riley. Riley catches But now, listen, that was easy. Now, Riley, I want you to stand down there. Oh, boy. In my head, I was like, oh, it's only like two feet. It'll be fine. Concrete is very hard. <laughs> All right, so this is what we're going to make it a little more interesting. Okay, I'm going to have you stand to the side. What if I just fell right now? Oh, you didn't catch me. All right, I'm going to have, like, okay, you knew what I was doing. What's your name? Yeah, what's your name? What is it? John, come on up here, John. Y'all give John, y'all give John a clap. <laughs> Luke, I'm going to have you come up here, too, because I trust you. Who else can I? All right, I need, I need somebody else. I need somebody else. I need somebody else. I need somebody else. Come on, Kenzie. You can come up here. Oh, you slipped up your hand. Come on, I trust you. Let's go. Oh, this is, I think I just picked the wrong person. All right, I need two more people. Just two more random people come up here. Come on, Darius. One more random person. Come on, anybody. I don't care. Just come on, come on. Oh, boy. I got like the Motley crew up here right now. All right, this is what I want you to do. I need you guys, I need all the fellas to stand to the side. All right, Kenzie, you're going to stand right there. Okay, I'm going to run and jump, Kenzie. Can you catch me? If I just run and jump, do you think you can catch me? Because remember, Riley called me fat. So you don't, you, don't trust that you don't trust yourself that you can catch me. Now, if I said this, if I said, hey, there's a group of people around you. They're going to help you catch me. Do you, do you trust these guys? Because here's the deal. In life, what happens is what? We think, we think that we have to do it all by ourselves. We, we think that we're in it alone. We think that regardless of what's going on, we don't really know if God's there. We don't really know if we can trust him. We just have, we just have one, one thing, and, and we have to do it all by ourselves. But, Kenzie, if I ask you to step to the side right there and kind of turn, all right? Riley, I'm going to have you step right there. There you go. Darius, I'm going to have you step right there. Fellas, if y'all can just kind of partner up with somebody, y'all get over here, y'all get over here. I know it's a little tight, but we're going to make it happen. Y'all remember that cool little thing that you did in school where, like, one person held the arm and the other person? All right, so I need y'all to do that. Do you remember how to do it? So, Riley, you grab, there you go. And then, Riley, you're going to grab something like this. Boom, boom. And then, Riley, nope, 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 nope. Riley, you're going to grab here. Something like that. Again, this was a really good idea until right now. I think if I jump, if I can make it to here. All right, here's my goal. Are y'all strong? It's a big wave. Yeah. All right. I need to like. Y'all still stop moving. Like, this is like, we're not bouncing here. This is stressful enough. Y'all are making me even more nervous. Oh, God. Y'all just got it. Y'all better catch me. Y'all give it up for these guys. Give it up. Give it up for them. Y'all have a seat. Like, but God said, hey, do you really trust me? Do, do, you do you trust that I'm going to catch you regardless of what life throws at you? See, see, last couple weeks ago, Pastor David was preaching, and he used Matthew 14, and he challenged us to trust God by getting into the boat, and he challenged us to trust God by staying on board when troubles come. But, but I want to revisit Matthew chapter 14. I, I want to revisit that scripture because even as someone else was preaching and I was here and taking notes, I was taking notes. The pastor, go figure, was taking notes when someone else, that means y'all should probably take notes, right? But even when I was taking notes, I just felt like the Lord was speaking to me. And, and, and this is what I want to revisit. So Matthew chapter 14, Jesus walks on water, verse 22. Let's read it. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted 
that his disciples get into the boat and cross over, cross over to the other side of the lake. And while he sent them, while he sent the other people home. Verse 23, after sending them home, he went up into the hill by himself to pray. And night fell, and he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on water. And when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once, don't be afraid, he said, take courage for I am here. And then Peter called out, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come out to you walking on the water. And Jesus said, yeah, sure, come on. So Peter, that was the Zach Witt translation. In fact, check that, Luke. So Peter went over to the, he gets that joke. So Peter went over to the other side of the boat and he walked on water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. And Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you, why did you doubt me? I don't think that Jesus was like reprimanding Peter in this moment. I think he was kind of saying, hey, hey, Peter, you had some faith. It was just, man, it was small, but you had faith. Faith as big as a mustard seed can what? It can move a mountain or inevitably make you walk on water, I guess. But, but yeah, just a little faith. Why do you doubt me? Verse 32, when they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped and the disciples worshiped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. See, three questions that I think Jesus wants to ask you this morning is this. If you're taking notes, write it down. The first one is, do you trust me with your future? Do you truly trust God with your future? Verse 22, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross over to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. Do, do you trust that Jesus will get you to the point in your life where he promised he would? Do, do you truly trust that Jesus will allow you to cross over into your destiny, cross over into your divine design, cross over into your calling, who God is uniquely calling you to be? I, I told you about my journey in becoming a pastor. I felt like I was called to be a pastor at 17 years old. I went to school to become a pastor. It took me 10 years. I didn't step into being a full-time pastor until I was 27 years old. I'll be honest with you. Throughout that tenure, I had a lot of doubt. God, I thought you called me to be a pastor. God, why am I in athletics? God, God, why am I, why am I a recruiter? God, why do I work in higher education? God, why am, I, why am I a professor? I thought you called me to be a pastor. Ten years later, I stepped in to that calling. Some of you were called to be a teacher. Some of you feel like you're called to own your own business. Some of you feel like you're called to expand your family. And you know that you know that you know that you know that God has called you to start down this path. And we start following Jesus. And then inevitably what happens? Jesus told me to go this direction. Jesus told me to go this way. But I can't see him and I can't hear him. God, where, God, where are you? God, where are you? Where are you in this circumstance? Where, where are you when a family member's dying? Where are you when families are falling apart? Where are you when, when I have a miscarriage? God, God, where are you? Because you told me to go down this path, and I can't see you, and I can't hear you. Pastor, you're getting a little aggressive. Well, I think that's how we truly act sometimes when nobody sees us. 
Like, I can sit up here and I can make it sunshines and roses and we, hey, God, where are you? Are you up there? No, because that's not how we treat God sometimes. Anybody ever been in the house by themselves when nobody's there? And you just kind of let out that yell? Hey, God, if you were really there. God, if you really are who you say you are. Anybody ever been in the shower and just kind of break down? Everybody, been, any, anyone ever been driving down the road? And you're trying to worship your way through it. You're trying to turn on the worship music. What happens? For me, sometimes, I turn it off and me and God just start having a conversation. And it's, it's a little colorful sometimes. But I'm being honest. I'm being vulnerable. I'm being real because, because this, is, this is what life throws at us. But he's asking you today, do you truly trust me? Zach, you've said that about 10 times. I'm going to say it about 15 more. Do you truly trust Jesus? See, everything starts with trust. Do do you trust that Jesus has the right person for you to marry? Do do you truly trust the future of your business to Jesus? Do you trust the future of your kids to Jesus? Do, Do you trust your retirement to Jesus? Do you trust your health to Jesus? Do you trust your finances to Jesus? Do you truly trust that Jesus is who he says he is? See, once you answer that question, the follow-up is very simple. The second thing for you to write down is, do you trust me in the storm? See, what storm are you facing today? I mean, I can use an analogy, and I can bring Riley back up here, and I can fall back, and I can bring a group of people here, and I can jump, and, and, and all this good stuff, and I can say that I trust it. Sometimes we put our trust more in man than we do in God. Sometimes we say, as long as there's people around me, I'm good to go. But, but do you truly lean on God? What's your storm today? What are you walking through as an individual? Maybe you've lost a loved one in recent weeks or months or maybe in, in recent years. See, many of you, I, I, know, I know this because I know your stories. Many of you are trying to grow families right now. And you're being met with complications or perceived complications, can I remind you that God's still in control? And I know that it sucks to hear that sometimes. But do you truly trust Jesus? Some of you are looking for a new job. <laughs> do you trust that God's got something lined up for you? So, some, of you some of you want to kind of restore your marriage, and that's why you started coming back to church. Do you truly trust that God's in control? What storms are you facing? Verse 24, meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. I want to talk about the progression of fighting your feelings. See, in life, we have storms and we have battles. What are storms? Storms are something that we try to ride out. We try to ride out storms. Battles are something that we try to meet head on and we try to fight. So storms and battles, which one was the disciples facing? It's actually a trick question because it was both. Think about the scripture for a strong wind had risen. That was a storm. And they were fighting heavy waves. That was their battle. I got a confession. I'm a, I'm a um, how can I say this? I just really like Vikings. All right. I like, I like Viking shows. I'm looking at Jake right now. 
I like Viking shows. I like thinking about Vikings. But, like, Vikings were savages. Like, they just, they just rode in the open ocean. And I love that imagery and that picture of just seeing a group of people rowing across the open seas. If I miss you with Vikings, maybe I'll get you with this. I also like Moana. <laughs> All right? Like, hold your hand up. Like, you got to learn to navigate. You got to learn to navigate the sea. Like, you know what I'm saying? But, but I like this idea of navigating. Because inevitably what's going to happen, you're going to face battles and you're going to face storms. But instead of avoiding them, you have to learn how to navigate them. I don't care if you've got to hold your hand up like Moana. Like learn how to navigate your storms and learn how to navigate your battles. What do you need to learn to navigate this morning? What's going on in your life that you need to learn to navigate? Now here's what I know. It's hard to navigate when you're tired. Heck, it's hard to drive when you're tired. Any, anybody been on a long road trip and you're like, I, like, I've got to pull. Where's my pullover people? I'll take a quick nap. My, my pullover people, I'm a pullover person. Or I'm like, babe, can you drive for like an hour, please? And an hour turns into like three and I'm out. Like, <laughs> she's like shaking me. Hey, it's your turn again. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but when we're tired, whether it be physically, uh, emotionally, or spiritually, it's hard to navigate. And what I've come to learn, and we see this in scriptures, being tired leads to emotions of fear. And then emotions of fear lead to irrational thoughts. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. It, you're the worst case scenario person. Like you just start thinking worst case scenario, worst case scenario, worst case scenario. And when you're in the middle of navigating the emotion of fear or terror, it's hard to trust what you see, what you feel, and what you hear. The disciples were navigating this fear, this terror, and they couldn't trust what they saw or what they felt. Feelings of fear lead us to irrational thoughts. Case in point, let's go back to the scripture. In their fear, in their fear, they cried out, what? It's a ghost. It's a ghost. So really? Like that's, that's where you are. You got 12 grown men in a boat, and this just turned into an episode of Scooby-Doo. Like, it's like, it's a ghost. It's like Shaggy and Scooby. Like, we got to figure out, we got to catch the ghost. Like, it's this ghost that's, that's coming towards us, 12 grown men. I, I know, I know we got some of those people like that in the room. And let me, let me prove it to you. You're the person that when you go into your room at night, it's bedtime. And when you go to your room at night, you go to your light switch. And the light's on, and you turn it off. And as soon as that light's off, you're running and you're jumping into the bed. Right, Because for some reason, between the moment of the light being on and the light being off, something got under your bed, and if you walk to your bed, they're grabbing your ankles and pulling you under. You know what I'm saying? You're also this person. You're the one that gets all the way under the covers, and throughout the night, your leg can't come out of the covers. Because if your leg comes out of the covers, somebody's going to break in, and when they break in, they'll know where you are because they see your leg. Like you're that person. Amory, you're telling on yourself right now. But it's like these irrational thoughts of fear. And for the disciples, the waves, the waves were real. The storm was real. The battle was real. They felt the waves. They felt how strong they were. They could see the wind and the waves. But, but now they're seeing ghosts. Now it's these irrational thoughts. See, for you, you started out battling a real storm. Whatever you were facing in your life, it was real and it was tangible. It was something that you felt. But now, now you're fighting your own feelings. And fighting your own feelings will lead to irrational thoughts. Over the last few years, I think we're seeing a rise in things like fear and anxiety and anger and depression. 
And I have to ask myself why. Now listen, I think there are many, many, many reasons why, especially in the society that we're living in. But let me geek out and suggest one for just a moment. See, for, for several decades, man, our, our mantra of society has been that postmodernism, which basically is the belief that there is no absolute truths. Think about that for a second because I absolutely believe there are no absolute truths. That's an absolute in and of itself. So somebody will get that in a second. But I would suggest this perception is not reality. Reality is relative to the person perceiving. So here's the progression of postmodernity. Postmodernity. Number one is this, there is no such thing as absolute truth. See, that's what society would say. Now, Scripture would say something different, but society would say there is no such thing as absolute truth. So if there is no absolute truth, then it becomes my truth. And my truth is what I see. My truth is my perception. My truth is what I feel. My truth is whatever makes me feel good, and I'll do that. That's what society says. But then our faith is not in facts. Our faith is in our feelings. And whatever you put your faith in ultimately becomes your God. See, we hear phrases like this. I'm going to put good vibes and good energy out into the universe. Number five, what becomes your God, you worship. It becomes the center of your life. And I'll tell you this, regardless of if you believe it or not, we all worship something. Number six, what we worship becomes magnified. So when you put our feelings as the center of our universe, we worship them. And they become magnified in our lives. Whatever you worship gets larger in your life and you become like that. Finally, our feelings and irrational thoughts have become magnified to the point that we are fighting our feelings and don't know what to do as a society. Our society is walking around with the end result of deconstructionism and postmodernity then we live off of our irrational thoughts. This past week, I was scrolling on my phone, and I saw a few posts that kind of point to this. Our society allows us to to live like we feel. I saw a college athlete who was a male competing against females, and she won, or he won. I, I, also, I also saw this in a Texas school that they were teaching sixth graders how to use pronouns. Not in the traditional sense of the word, but boys were saying they felt like girls, so society allows them to, to let their feelings label who they are. Can I suggest that, that feelings are fleeting and feelings change? Let me prove it to you. I can feel like a CrossFit Games athlete. Your boy's not, all right? I, I can feel like a professional baseball player. I promise I'm not. I can feel like fill in the blank. You can feel like whatever you want to feel like. That's what society says. Well, if society is right, then I can feel like a millionaire. And I can write a $3 million check to get us into our building project. But I promise you, if you try to cash that check, it ain't going through. It don't matter what I feel like or not. Coach, I can feel like I'm a college athlete. I'm going to come play for you. I'd get my head rocked. I don't care what we feel like. Our feelings are fleeting and always changing. Just because you feel like something doesn't mean that's what you are. I don't know about you, but I'm a firm believer that we're always fighting some type of feeling. Especially at night. Nights when things come to the surface. See, things get a little worse at night. Think about when you're sick. That fever, it spikes a little bit at night. 
That cough, it's a little more prevalent at night. Those aches and those pains, we feel it more at night. Why? Let me read this to you. Scientifically, at night, there is less cortisol in your blood, and as a result, your white blood cells readily detect and fight infection in your body at this time, provoking the symptoms of the infection to the surface, such as fever, congestion, chills, or sweating. Therefore, you feel more sick at night. Inevitably, the battle comes to the surface at night. Think about it this way. How, how are you doing at night? What's your mindset like at night? Let me take it a step further. What are your 3 a.m. thoughts? Some of y'all are like, I ain't been up at 3 a.m. since college. Some of y'all are like, I like my sleep, so I'm never up at, at 3 a.m. Don't, don't, don't think 3 a.m. Think of, think of what's late for you. Think of nighttime for you. But what are your 3 a.m. thoughts? You ever seen a ghost at 3 a.m.? Because I promise you, the later it gets, you start looking out your window, you'll start seeing something. <laughs> I was house-sitting. <laughs> I'm going to tell myself for a little bit. I was, uh, was house-sitting for a buddy of mine when I lived in Florida. I was a little younger. And they moved into this new house. It was a beautiful house. They were in a cul-de-sac. Great neighborhood. The problem is they had just moved in, and they didn't have any blinds on any of the windows. So I felt like I was in a fishbowl. Like, I don't... I think they even had towels up in their bedroom because they, like, their blinds hadn't come in yet. And, and I was sitting on the couch, and it was probably 12, 1 o'clock at night. And, and here's the problem. I was probably watching a scary movie or something, and, and I just remember like freaking out, thinking somebody was watching me through the window. <laughs> this is embarrassing. So what I did is I walked to the kitchen, and I looked in the drawers, and I found the biggest knife that I could, and I just stood at the counter like this, like with this knife in my hand. Like whoever's, like whoever's outside, go ahead and come in. Like, I felt like I was seeing stuff at night just because it was late and it was dark. This is what I know. Things come to the surface at night. Loneliness comes to the surface at night. Fear comes to the surface at night. Irrational thoughts comes to the surface at night. Scrolling on your phone, on social media, comes to the surface at night. Conversations you shouldn't be having come to the surface at night. I have good news for you. Where was Jesus right before he approached the disciples on the water? I read it a few moments ago. Verse 23, after sending them home, he went up to the hills by himself to pray. And night fell while he was there alone. So Jesus went up to this hillside to pray. And it's, it's a hunch. I can't prove it. But I'm assuming that if Jesus was praying, that he was probably praying for his boys. I assume that part of his prayer would have been for the disciples. I assume that part of his prayer would have been for his friends. And sometimes when you're in the storm, you need someone praying for you and fighting for you. Can I tell you that we're a church that believes in the power of prayer? One of our first statements that we ever put out was we pray first. Every, every Sunday morning before service even starts at 9.15 in the morning, there's a group of people in here praying for the service. There's a group of people always praying for you. Man, we believe in prayer so much and that we've tried to make a, a prayer place. And, and Miss Kay and her team, man, right through these double doors, you kind of see the sign. It's our prayer room. Because we recognize the power of prayer. Again, we're not just going to talk about it. We're going to be about it. If the Bible tells us to pray and to lift up things to the Lord, then that's what we're going to do. Life is really simple. If the Bible tells you to do something, do it. If it tells you not to do it, don't do it. It's that simple. But we believe in the power of prayer. 
Jesus was praying for his boys. He was fighting for his boys. The last thing that I'll leave you with is this. Do you trust, Jesus would say, do you trust me enough to step out of the boat? Verse 28, then Peter called him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come out to you walking on water. Yeah, come on, Jesus said. So Peter went over to the other side of the boat and he walked on water towards Jesus. See, Peter gets a bad rap here, but he's the only one who had the faith and the courage to do two things. First off, he said, Jesus, is that really you? And second, he was the only one to step out of the boat. But why are these two verses so powerful? It's because in our society, it's like we've made a God out of safety. I would suggest that we actually worship safety over worshiping God. God, I'll go anywhere you want me to go. God, I'll do anything you want me to go as long as I feel safe. We've also made a God out of control and we worship control. God, I'll do anything you want me to do as long as I feel like I'm in control. As long as you let me, hey, you can hold the reins, but, but I need to hold on to them too. I need to feel like I'm in control. And we've made these false idols out of safety and control in our society. At one daycare, they changed the nursery rhyme to this. Jack and Jill went up the track to fetch the pill again. They climbed with care, got safely there, and finished the job they began. Y'all, that's some nonsense. Y'all, Jack fell down the hill. I don't care if you change it or not. Sucker rolled down the hill, broke his crown or whatever it was. Right? Like He got hurt, all right? It's okay. He took a risk. He failed. I'm going to read this to you. Larry Lawton, the philosopher of science, he spent the last decade studying risk management. And he says that we live in a fear-driven society, and that can cause us to live in a risk lock, sort of like a gridlock. You've been in traffic before, and it's like that gridlock, you're not going anywhere. You're stuck on the interstate. But we kind of live like that, and he calls it risk lock. And he summarizes his findings in 19 principles. And the first principle is this. Everything is risky. Everything in life is risky. Regardless of what you do, you're going to have to take some risk. Zach, is that really true? Yeah, let me read you some of his research. You can stay at home in bed, but that may make you one of the half million Americans who require emergency room treatment each year from injuries sustained out of falling out of bed. Half million people fall out of bed and got to go to the ER. That's a problem. That's a big problem. You can have this sphere that you need to cover up your windows, but that can make you one out of 10 people a year who accidentally hang themselves off the cords of their blinds. 10 people a year. Are you kidding me? Or, or you can hide your money in the mattress. I don't trust the banks. I don't trust the government. I'm hiding everything in the mattress. Well, that could make you one of the tens of thousands of people who go to the emergency room every year because of wounds caused by handling money. I promise you, I don't have enough money to handle to go to the ER. <laughs> like, but there, that really happens to people. The goal in life isn't safety. The goal in life is to live life to its fullest, trusting Jesus every step of the way. So what's in the boat? But think about the disciples. It's the progression of fighting with your feelings. We're all going to face storms. We're all going to face battles. We're all going to get tired, whether that be physically or emotionally or spiritually. We're all going to have emotions of fear. We're all going to go through irrational thoughts. But what's the action? God is asking you this question. I'll say it again. Do you truly trust me? Do you truly trust me? See, if I had to leave you with this this morning, I would ask you this. Do you want the boat? Or do you want Jesus? See, do, do, you want, do you want the boat? Do you want the false sense of security? Or do you truly want Jesus? Jesus would ask you, do you trust me? 
Do you trust Jesus enough to step out of the boat? Do you trust Jesus with your finances? Well, yeah, pastor, I trust, I trust Jesus with my finances. Let me take it a step further. Do you trust Jesus enough with your finances to actually tithe 10% of what you make? Pastor, you're stepping on my toes. No, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Pastor, you're talking about money. Yeah, because the Bible talks about money. Do you tr truly trust Jesus with your finances? Do you trust Jesus with your future? Do you trust Jesus with the storms that you're walking through in your life? Do you trust Jesus enough to step out of the boat? I'm a big fan of, of the Narnia series. If you've never watched the Narnia movies or read the books, uh, C.S. Lewis wrote this series kind of telling people about Jesus through the main character of Aslan. And Aslan is this lion that kind of roams around. But, but let me read you an excerpt out of Prince Caspian. One of the main characters comes across Aslan after a prolonged absence. And Lucy says this. She says, Aslan, Aslan, you're, you're bigger. You're bigger. You're bigger than I remember you. And his response is this. That's because you're older, little one. And she replies, not, not because you are. And Aslan's response is, I am not. But every year you grow, you'll find me bigger. See, every year that you grow in your relationship with Jesus, you find him bigger and bigger and bigger. And here's my question. Do you trust God enough to step out of the boat? Do you trust God enough to find him bigger every single day? My question is this. As we step back into worship, can you stand and raise your voice, recognizing that God is who he says he is? Thanks for joining us today at Multiply Church. We can't wait to see you again next week, either in person or online, as we continue to love Jesus and change the world.